Welcome in. It's the Holy Grail BCJ podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. We will see you Friday night. I will see you, Dave, Dave Wall. Friday night at the Holy Grail, 6 p.m. kickoff. So no time to go home from work. You get off work. You just come straight to the Grail. You get some dinner, get some drinks. You watch the Bearcats take on the South Florida Bulls. That's the game plan. I'll be there. Tony Pike will be there. And you, you'll be there. Not, not Dave, you. Dave won't be there. But you, as in the person listening, uh, doing whatever it is you're doing, driving around in your car, sitting on your couch with the, uh, the AirPods in. I've been introduced, Dave, to a lot of wives that listen to the show with their husbands while they're driving around. Um, I'm, so, I always, I'm sorry for them. I, I always apologize. I'm sorry. They like it, though. They're like, no, you guys are funny. We like the show. And I'm like, you don't have to lie just because I'm here. We've already got your money. You don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to lie and tell us you like us. What, but, what uh, is with the six o'clock start time? That one's pretty odd. I'm wondering if it's because it's on ESPN2 on a Friday night. I think they have NBA Friday night rights. So that would be like, what, a 9, 9.30 tip-off for the NBA? Yeah, but why is it uh, not at 7? There's a game after it. There's Boise, B- Boise uh, Wyoming's after it. So I, mean, I thought it was an NBA thing. I don't know. I don't like it, 6 o'clock. Like, I've never seen one at 6 on a – and it was announced, like – a long Forever time ago, ago. yeah. It know, might have been the first one announced just when they odd, put the schedule out. Odd start time. Yeah, and we're moving Friday. That's so Friday is going to be, uh, as Butch Jones would say, a great challenge. A great challenge. Well, Butch is having a lot of great challenges this year. Yeah. Go, Butch. So, Dave, Dave Simone, welcome in. Hi, Dave. Hi. How's everyone? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Yeah. It's been, it's been a touch busy. It's been a, here. a fast start to the week. <laughs> with, with the preview and this podcast, we will be at 20 uh, front page pieces of content since uh, Saturday night, since the game ended Saturday night. That is bananas. Well, I'm hopeful everyone is able to to digest it all. There's nothing that you're missing. We often joke about too much content. I think we are pushing the envelope of that. We don't want to be producing so much that people are missing it. But uh, I have a feeling the vast majority are are very happy with all that is going on in Bearcats athletics. Yeah, I called you jokingly today, and I'm, I'm like, I think we might be at too much content. I think we might be at the, right about the threshold where it's like, okay, guys. Well, I mean, this is the, this is the season. Yeah. When once football and basketball overlap, and you have the now, I guess it's not new anymore, but the early signing period, this is the time when there's just a lot going on. And you, you, you're, you're 
football team's number two in the country and your basketball team is starting uh starting anew turning over a new leaf starting with the west miller era and uh boy kids are flying off the board commitment wise what do we want to lead with today do, do we really want to lead with tulsa or do we want to no, lead with- i think we I think basketball deserves to to lead off i mean it's the most recent thing i mean we'll, we'll- luther richardson's the most recent thing. well but you know what i mean like I know. So let's go. Let's go. I, I like that we do show prep in the show. Like this is how <laughs> transparent we are. We are very we, professional. We 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 involve you guys, the listener, into our show prep. Let's go basketball, and then we'll do some football recruiting talk with the commitments of uh, the highest-rated defensive recruit in program history, Trevor Carter, and uh, the quarterback for the 2022 class that has been a long courtship in Luther Richardson. And uh, and then we'll get into we'll get into football. How's that sound? Let's do it. All right, here we go. Dave, you're you're you're, you're because of the little one and uh, weeknight games. You 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 don't you're not doing season tickets this year. Does your mom and aunt have an extra for you that you're going to be able to no. go at times? No, I would only really be able to go if one of them can't, or unless wow. someone on the board has an extra ticket and would be so kind as to invite me. That would be (laughs) bring Dave to the game with you. Yeah. That would be an experience. All you need is a ticket. Dave will meet you there and go to the game with you. And you can get Dave's commentary. Although last year probably would have been the year to do that because you had a lot of commentary. You know, honestly, though, I I did – Towards the beginning, and once we got kind of into like February, I was. We're just you were out. Be, we're be honest. Like I was, I was out on that nonsense. Yeah, I feel you. But, but that is in the past. Past we are in the now with West Miller squad that uh, had a pretty, I would say, pretty strong showing for game one. When I think yeah. there was a lot of just unknowns. And I don't know how many of those really get answered after one game, but I was uh, I was encouraged with what I saw. Here's I, and I didn't write about this last night because I wanted to, to to touch on it more tonight. Here's what I was really impressed with. They go on the 18 to one run, you know, and they get up. 12, 13 points, whatever. I think they were down three and they go on an 18 to one run. And um, they never really had that lull, right? Like that's what you see, especially early in the season from teams. You know, they, they hit the, the, the gas, they go on the run, especially if the run is like this one. I mean, this one was, you know, from I think the nine minute mark all the way kind of almost through the, the last segment of the first half. And in the second half, you never had that dip where all of a sudden it's down to like 12 or down to eight. And you're like, Oh boy, here we go. No, they kept that thing 15 to 20, pretty much the entire time. They kept Evansville bottled up. You'll, you'll love this one. The uh, 25.9% field goal percentage from Evansville. Yes. Was the lowest season opener 
opponent field goal percentage since 2006. Wow. Which was year one of the Mick Cronin era. Who did they play week? The first game with that crew that shot worse than that. Well, that schedule was constructed year right, one. But still. <laughs> true, true, true. But no, I uh, think, you know, I think from what I wanted to see, and I know, you know, by no means <coughs> perfect, anything like that, I was impressed and encouraged by. The offense that Evansville ran was very, you know, ball, a lot of ball movement, motion. You know, it wasn't just a lot of standing around. And I thought defensively, they were a pretty connected group. Like, they weren't late. They weren't late on covers. They weren't – there weren't a lot of – you know, there were a couple where, you know, it was either – you know, a straight line drive or a pass to a cutter. But, like, there were a ton of missed assignments from my standpoint, you know, not pouring over the tape or anything. But for a first game in a new, totally new scheme, totally new coaching staff, you know, a lot of new players. Wes played a lot of guys. There were a lot of different lineups. You know, for the a lot of different part, looks, a lot of different style looks. Right. But I mean, to which just, we anticipated just defensively, too. Like, there were probably guys playing together that haven't spent a ton of time practicing together, you know, right. in those same units. And, you know, they did, like, you have to do at least a somewhat of a good job. It's not always the other team just missing shots, like, to hold them to that low of a field goal percentage. Um, that was probably the most crucial thing just because I, I don't think we're, you know, breaking any news. When we say the defense really wasn't that good the last couple of years. So I enjoyed seeing that type of performance. Yeah, I mean, they, they – I thought they communicated well. I thought their rotations were pretty good. Obviously, you know, there were some scrambles. Um but that's that's gonna that's the nature of just a, a regular basketball game. You're not gonna be perfect defensively, especially in year one, uh, on every possession. Um, and you, you the the answer, by the way, was Howard. Yeah, the start of the, the the start of the Mick Cronin era was a seventy to thirty nine victory over Howard. Don't remember that one. <laughs> And then the win over Tennessee Martin, a win over High Point, and a loss to Wofford. Oh, the Terriers. I remember that Wofford loss all too well. <laughs> all too well. Um, but that's, you know, I, I think that's the biggest takeaway I agree would be defensively. Um, they just, they looked much more connected. They looked much more together. Uh, and it's amazing how much everything looks different when you got a couple guys on the back end that are ready to erase some mistakes. That just wasn't an option over the past couple of years. No, and it's, I mean, just think about it this way too. Like with two guys, neither one of them should be worrying about, they can be ultra aggressive. 
Yeah. Like, you know, if you got one guy, it's like you kind of sometimes you got to be careful. Like, we want you to be your aggressive self and block and change shots. But, you know, we're also at the same time worried about foul trouble. With two guys, it's like, go at it. Right from, you know, and, and they had what, five or six blocks and who knows how many other, you know, contested shots. You know, and, and I think Evansville too missed quite a few interior shots that, you know, they would think that they would make, but I don't know if that part of that was just kind of feeling that maybe, you know, one of those guys is behind them getting ready to block it. But no, I thought, I thought they did a, uh, I thought they did a pretty good job in that regard too. Yeah, for sure. Um, Offensively, it was, I like the style. That's, you know, I, I, they didn't, they, the times I was at practice, I, you didn't see a lot of five on five because there was still so much install that was being done and still so much that was, you know, happening. But I liked what I saw in terms of like what the approach was, what the fo- general philosophy was. And it never really felt like, I mean, and this again is some of this is going to be because the, uh, Evansville's just I didn't I didn't think they were very good but there things never did it feel like to you at any point like things stagnated like even in the beginning they were missing shots I didn't see the uh, I came on when I think there was like eight minutes into the game and we had eight points and then Mason hit two threes and it was kind of off from there Oh, so like the reason they started slow was because you were putting Will to bed. More or less. <laughs> if you had put Will to bed earlier, they would have started fast. But yeah. no, even even then, it didn't feel like it was stagnated. Like the ball was was frozen. You know, they weren't standing around. They well, they always how, felt like the movement was good. How much of that? was that they were getting full possessions and not turning the ball over, not traveling, not having charges, not, you know, stuff right. like that that, like, grinds things to a halt, missing free throws. They miss free throws. Now well, they miss free throws. Yeah, but, I mean, like, in those walls <laughs> that can be become extended. Right. You know, you're not doing those, those other things. I, that's it. one other thing that I was – happy to see was just a lack of turnovers and a lack of you know like unforced error turnovers too which we've seen a lot of especially last year I felt like there was just a lot of uncalled for turnovers right where the defense Um, isn't pressuring and we're you know we're just throwing it to the other team you know stuff like that um, sorry, I'm, I'm our our new hire. Just you know, continues sending me nonstop content. So I'm getting ready to publish our our newest, another one of our newest features here with the return of the Mick Walker era. What what is it's, this? Feature? It's called Cliff. It's called Clifton Notes. Clifton Notes. Yeah. What are, are these like? Uh... Little inside scoops or these 
this one particularly, these are, you know, just things Mick has gathered, working the beat, talking to people around the state of Ohio. Uh, this one is uh, titled Clifton Notes, setting the top of the board for tw- Cincinnati in 2023. Oh, very exciting. Yeah. So, hey, it's a content game. <laughs> Great. It's a content game, brother. Um, so that distracted me from basketball. For What's, a uh, not saying there were a ton of negatives, but what, what do you think Coach Miller focused on today in practice, from, specifically from yesterday's game? Um, 30 missed shots, six offensive rebounds. That's, that's pretty – it's not a very good percentage. What did he say on when he came on with us? He said he wanted to get to a point where they were getting like 40%. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's and that's not, that's not it. No. Six of 30 is not 40%. I don't know a lot of things, but in a six divided into 30 is not 40%. That's not, that's not how the math works out. Uh, free throws, eight of 17. Um, I think I discovered as I was going through the numbers, I think I discovered the problem with that. Uh, they were two of eight in the first half. A lot of those were early in those, those opening segments where they were struggling to score. Yeah. Um, they practice free throws when they're tired. Well, yeah. They weren't tired yet. No. So, you know, so, you got a little extra I oomph mean, in your legs. Why would you expect someone to make free throws like right at the beginning of the game? They haven't even right. like, gotten into the flow. They haven't. You know, <laughs> I mean, everybody knows you don't practice free throws until they end of practice. Right. When you're tired, like that's, that's how you practice free throws. You practice free throws when you're tired. So it can be a problem sometimes if you got to shoot free throws when you're, when you're spry, when you're, is when that you're ready a, to go. Is that, and I don't even know who took, who had the most attempts, the most misses. Is that maybe a bit of a drawback of playing the, like the, the true big men so much are they poor free throw shooters and yes you want them on defense but you leave yourself susceptible to some situations like that uh abdul was one for two odie was one for two vic was one for four mike saunders was the shocking he was over three and he's usually well, he a, you're, an excellent yeah, well, free throw shooter. But he's in such probably great shape. He probably just—it's the first game. He's not tired yet. Right. Like February, he'll probably be more tired, and then he'll make more free throws. I feel you. I feel you. Um, so yeah, like I don't think some of it. You know, Micah was was two for two. Jeremiah was two for two. Um, those are the guys that you want shooting them. You want Mikey shooting them. So him being over three was a bit of a surprise. Um, and I think defensively, like he's never going to be, you know, happy because there's always stuff to work on, always stuff to get better at. Um, I think there were some, at times, some issues, uh, getting caught in rotations and, and guys getting, a a little bit more of an open look to the rim than they, you know, the staff would have liked. Like I said, though, luckily there were guys back there to uh, erase some of those mistakes. So 
that's kind of the the yin and yang of that whole like playing aggressive man-to-man you know kind of pressure defense is that at times you're going to get beat and that's why you recruit shot blockers you recruit shot blockers to erase those mistakes when you get beat and that's that's what happens when you're when you're playing uh right in somebody's face so um yeah that's a that's what that's what I would take away from what I think he might want to want to work on. I, I rebounding, I think, would be the obvious, and defensive rebounding they were okay. Like they, they, they had thirty five defensive rebounds. They they were pretty good on the defensive glass. Um, shot twenty something percent. How many? What were? How many misses did they have? They had forty, and UC rebounded thirty five of them. Okay. Well, yeah. For me. Here's what really jumped out for me, Dave. And I wrote this a little bit in the, I mentioned it in the, um, the, the Brendel's Bites. I always, uh, analytics are what everybody talks about now. But I always like to look at the points from. And the points from is points off turnovers, points in the paint, second chance points, fast break points, bench, bench points. Cincinnati dominated the points from. Points off turnovers, 17 to 5. Points in the paint, 32 to 10. Second chance points, 7-0. Fast break points, 13 to 1. Bench points, 36 to 14. Good, like those, good, good recipe for a win. Yeah, like the, those are the little things. They, they didn't turn it over a lot. They dominated the paint. They didn't. I mean, the seven is the problem because you need, if you miss 30 shots, you need to get more than seven second chance points. But Evansville had zero. They didn't allow fast Evansville to get out on the fast break, 13 to one. And then your bench came in and had a really good day with 36 points. Um, I look at those little things as an indication that, you know, this team has got some, uh, got some life to it, a little life to it. Yeah. I think there's, there's parts there that can be built on and, it just seemed, you know, first game, who knows, but it just seemed like this group is is ready to just, you know, jump in both feet, be an exciting team to watch. I'm still not sure how good they'll be from a wins and losses standpoint, but, you know, I think the way that they'll play and grow will be endearing to the fan base and exciting and you know if you just look if you take it through the lens of a year one with a ton of new parts and even the returning parts coming back in different roles then it can be an enjoyable season yeah I think they're going to be fun to watch like I think that was you know the biggest question I had was what how long is it going to take until they're a team that is enjoyable aesthetically? And and I'm sure there will be games where that is not Of course, case. that's what I, I mean, was going to get to. That's impossible with, with the dynamic of the group. But the general overall sense for this team's identity doesn't look to be a team that's going to make you want to poke your eyes out, right? No, I don't think so at all. 
Um, what were your thoughts on Victor Lockett? I don't, I did not, I was not able to really like. I, did you watch watched, the game, Dave? I did watch the game. I, I watched the game, but I wasn't like locked in there. Those are, those are my thoughts. Uh, in, in that regard, wah, like, wah, wah, wah. Yeah. I was I was actually more focused on when we were on defense than when we were on offense. To be quite honest, I was more impressed with Victor on defense than I was offense. If yeah. we're being honest, he moved his feet well. Like no, yeah, there was one I think like challenged one in the corner, and then the guy tried to shake him, and he just and he didn't give it up. It's like, like in, our, in the corner by our bench, I think in the. Yeah. Uh, Try to do some some fancy dribbling and went nowhere. I just I, he's I expected him to be skilled, right? Like you get a European big man, that's kind of who they're supposed to be, right? Yeah, um, skilled, skilled. But then you when you pull him out from the in a yeah. true like one on one situation, they're exposed a little bit from an athletic standpoint. I didn't see that. I saw a guy that can hold his own pretty much. Hopefully that says more about him than it says about Evan. So. Yeah, but I mean, I you know, the, I the interesting thing was he played a lot of four. Yeah. He didn't play a lot of five. He played a lot of four. If you got the ability to, to put a 6'11", a skilled 6'11 guy with his kind of – I mean, he's what, 6'11", 230, 240? Like, Big he's dude. not a small dude. If he can put his feet – He's had plenty of time in the weight room. Yeah. Uh, if he can move his feet and not be a liability, like when teams try to try to go at him in the pick and roll and try to go at him with smaller guys before, if he can hold his own, oh, oh, thank you, Sean Dwyer. Yeah, Sean raved about the dude for six months. Like I, I got this kid in Russia that I think is going to be really has a chance to be really, really good. And uh, I think he was right. I think he nailed that one. So, thanks, Coach. What's Sean Dwyer's situation? Sean looked like he was, like, 15 years old at UC, right? Yeah, he's, what, at Loyola, Chicago? He's the, he's the oldest coach on the bench at Loyola. Wow. Good for him. Because the Denzel Valentine is their head coach. He played oh, at okay. Michigan State, like, six months ago. <laughs> The whole that was the running joke when I saw him this summer out on the AAU trail was like, how in the world did I end up in a situation where I'm the old guy on staff? Yeah, no kidding. I'm like, you look like you, you still look like you just graduated high school. Like you grew out a beard the, during uh, quarantine. The, the grizzled experience. <laughs> the gr- yeah, the grizzled veteran. So uh I have a, yeah, ran- but- a random Evansville question. Okay. Why are were their uniforms all orange? I, their colors have always been purple and orange, right? I don't know why I they thought went. They were purple and yellow. And then if you're the purple aces, shouldn't your uniforms be purple? Yeah, I don't. Are they still the purple aces? Did they drop the purple? And I, I think they're just aces. The Evansville aces. I know they dropped the sleeves. I know. I think they're just the aces. Oh, okay. Because I I always knew the, the purple aces. Same here. And why are Same and here. I turned it on? And I'm like, why are their uniforms orange? They they look like Clemson. Yeah. They look but, very uh, much so like what, Clemson. Georgia on Saturday. Is that right? Yeah, they're they're pretty bad. 
Like, you got to find out a way to win that one. I would, I mean, you know, I, especially after what happened last year. Yeah. Where they just got dog walked and fortunately nobody watched it. Nobody knew it happened. <laughs> Literally. Like, ha- like, I would love to know just the numbers of like, you see, like, if there was a way to figure it out. How many people legitimately like watched that entire game? It, it, it wasn't it watch, on. It, it was on like the football game. It was on SEC Network Plus. So I, I think if I was, I, correctly. I mean, I was, I was at the football game. I have no idea. I think the only way you could get it was the online SEC Network, which I'm assuming if you have ESPN Plus, you have SEC which that Network makes it Plus. even better. That would make it even better. Like who, who. Did who are that? the six people that watched who that jumped game? through those hoops to watch that and was like, nah, not watching the football game. Not watching them complete their undefeated regular season by winning a conference championship. I'm watching UC Georgia. And at what point in time, didn't Georgia went on like a 24 to two run or something? At what point in time were you like, I made a bad decision? Like, I literally could not tell you one thing about that game. The only, the only thing I really know about that game is I was down on the sidelines. And by the time I went from the sidelines to the press box, it was a two-point game that turned into a 22-point game. Like, how does that even happen? But it did. Well, how did a lot of things happen? Yeah, that's <laughs> very true. Yeah, Georgia, Georgia coming up next. So why are they um, no good? Like, what's what's their situation? They had a, they had a lot of guys leave. Um, Crean is on his last legs, like about about to Isn't be done. That just, like, and and he's not the only one. But like, how does this stuff happen? Where like you're pretty successful, like, and then you're just like not anymore. I just I think with him it's he's really from from what I know from people in the business he's really difficult to work for. And he's turned over a lot of staff. And I guess it's you know it's 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 difficult to maintain success when you're in a constant state of turnover. Yeah. I mean, they I don't tried know. to go the I... one and done route with Anthony Edwards. Uh, he was I, the only, why would yeah, you, you know, take him and you get him. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but I just don't, I think they, they, there was never really any continuity in the plan. It doesn't feel like. And as a result, they are, uh, they're not good, Dave. They're not good. Not as that, not look. Here, here's a, here's a, what time is the game? I think seven or hold on, I don't know. Just because it's a, it's a similar situation. If it was an overlap, Georgia plays Tennessee at three thirty on CBS. Like if the basketball game was overlapping, how many Georgia people would watch the basketball game? None. <laughs> None. It's a seven o'clock tip off. Okay, so they they could they could go right from from uh, watching them lose to the Bulls Saturday to. Yeah, you know, watching them lose to the Bearcats. That would be the biggest gift of all time, Dave, if your balls take care of Georgia. We both know 
that's probably not happening. Probably not, but I will say, and I have been uber critical of him. Josh Heupel is doing a very fine job this year with Tennessee. Wow. Dave are, giving credit to Josh Heupel? They are legit is, good. Like, is, is that a sign of how bad things have been at Tennessee for yeah, they, so long that Josh Heupel is an upgrade to their coaching situation? It's been an unmitigated disaster. So, yes. I mean, they are a competent football team that is pretty good. Now, they'll still probably get killed by Georgia, but everybody's getting killed by Georgia. They'll win the week after. They'll beat Vandy. And to go to a bowl game this first year after the disaster that was the Jeremy Pruitt era, absolutely I'm going to give him credit. All right. I like to, I like to hear that. I like to hear Dave manning up and giving credit to Josh Heupel, his, well, his least favorite coach over the past five years. <laughs> didn't think he's doing a very good job at UCF. That was pretty apparent. Yeah. So we'll have plenty of uh, Georgia reaction on the BBP on Monday. Uh, but good opener as the Bearcats take down Evansville 65-43. Balanced scoring. Balanced attack. 12 guys played. 11 of them scored. And the West Miller era is underway with a victory. So let's get to some recruiting and uh, let's hit him with a surprise guest. Dave, you want to hit him with a surprise guest? I love surprises. The newest member of Bearcat journal and one of our, our first returning staff members. We don't have a lot of, usually when staff members leave, they're like, can't go to hell. I'm never coming back. (laughs) Go to hell. I got a job. Go to hell. I got a job. I'm not doing this shit for you anymore. Uh, But a returning and beloved member of the BCJ family, Mr. Mick Walker. Mick, how are we doing, brother? Pretty good. And until I realized that if I jump on this podcast, I'm not actually going to be able to listen to it because I can't stand to listen to myself. So that's a great. Well, you can just you can fast forward timestamp. Yeah, you can timestamp yourself. This is about as soon as Chad introduces you, just skip to the end. Yeah, start it. Look at your clock right now. See what time it is. And then when you're done and you leave, you'll know I got to skip 23 minutes of the podcast or whatever that is. I do the same thing. I've never listened to one of our podcasts. And that's how they got 300 episodes in. Dave has been here for most. I mean, Tim was here for the beginning uh, when we first started doing it. I'd say Tim was probably. 50 to 100 episodes and and dave has been here for the rest of the way so for him not to have listened to himself even once is true dedication to the craft you won't even go back and like if we do a really good interview with somebody you won't even go back and listen to that no no the question is do you listen to like the two and a half hours of the bbp this is kind of an on-running joke uh yes but it takes me three or four days (laughs) because <laughs> i i refuse i've been duped into it once twice now well, one, once, only once once is... duped once on my own volition have i <laughs> have this has this podcast gone over two hours as no one wants to hear me talk for that long and i don't want to talk for that long so all the courage right, with those guys though <laughs> Let's get to it. 
we have Mick on for an obvious reason. It has been an exciting 36 hours in Cincinnati football recruiting. We'll start with yesterday's news with the commitment of four-star Ironton linebacker Trevor Carter. And uh, Mick, welcome back. And we put you to work right away. Did you, like, you came back and the floodgates opened. So are you taking credit for this? I, I do think it's funny on my introductory thread, somebody said, who, how many four-stars are you bringing with it? I, I've got one so far. <laughs> I mean, some people would claim Luther, so I think I got like a, maybe like a one and a half. But yeah, it. it I mean, it's it, it's what I signed up for. I know it's something that you. When I was here last time, you always put me to work, and I enjoy it. So that's what I was excited to come back and do. Even though I I don't necessarily always miss our five or six calls throughout a day, just depending on what's going on. But we get through them. Yeah, I mean, well, this is what happens when you're like the number one guy, right? You moved up the depth chart. You moved up the depth chart. You're in the number one slot. You get you get calls from dad all the time. Just I don't know. get our just don't get our access revoked like your previous employer. Ooh, hey, uh... Dave, <laughs> Dave, easy, Dave, easy. Um, you know, you know? That, you know, I'm that guy. I know, I know. <laughs> um, what do you know? What have you uh, What have you heard? Give us what you've got on Trevor Carter. So I probably when it comes to Trevor doing workouts for the public and like, well, not for the public, but in front of people that weren't college coaches, I was probably the long, one of the last people to see Trevor out and moving around. Cause as you've talked about on the board and as we've talked about, Trevor has an injury that sort of, that has kept him out this whole season. And that's why you haven't seen the film and you haven't seen the stuff from him this season, but I saw him in May move around. And at the time he was, he was finally starting to transition to linebacker after playing a lot of free safety and a lot of the back end because of Reed Carrico, the Ohio State signing up front for Ironton. And it, he looked very comfortable. He looked very fluid there. And I think I, so, I sort of talked to you about it, and I think I talked to Trevor about it, the idea being that he can be very, very useful in a, a defense like Cincinnati's where he's very multiple, playing a ton of different spots and covering tight ends and coming down, stopping the run, doing a little bit of everything. I think that's what the Cincinnati's getting Trevor. Alan did a great job of articulating that, and that's just really how I feel about Trevor. What do you think it is that makes him the number four player in Ohio and a you know top two hundred prospect? Like what 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 jumps off the page when you see him? It's really I think it's 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 length with the size. It's, you've seen Trevor walking around on the field before. He's a very well put together dude, and that's just walk, watching him in t shirt and shorts. Um, he's also got a lot of length, six two. I mean. The, the, for when you're talking about maybe like an offensive tackle at the same amount of time, but to play linebacker, that's he's a very long and lengthy dude at 6'2", and he has a ton of size to match it. He also has the speed that doesn't get sacrificed with the size, and I think that's the thing that vaults him to the high ranking, along with just he comes from a very hard-nosed football area, and he's a hard-nosed football player, and you can see that on film. Um. Do you think linebacker, like maybe, uh, maybe, uh, I, I don't think the sniper role necessarily, because I think he's going to outgrow that when he gets with Brady. Uh, but I think he fits really well in kind of that weak side linebacker spot. Yeah. And that's the thing is because you, when you factor in that Cincinnati already has Jason Hewitt and Trevor, one of them's likely going to play, like you said, the weak side linebacker, one's going to play the sniper. And I think I, me I mentioned it on the board, Jason's probably the guy that plays the sniper and Trevor bumps out plays linebacker. Just because, like you said, he's already – he's probably 205, 210. He's going to get up to maybe 230, 240 just easily with Brady because he's got that 
He's got a good frame already. He's got a very thin frame though for what he had for where he's at. What do you think it says for Cincinnati to have three of the top 12 recruits in Ohio in 2023 already committed this early? I mean, they're not in the big 12 yet, but I think having that you, that's the result of that. You, you get those kind of guys when you're in the big 12 and you know that there's going to be playing, you're playing big time football now. And it's something when I was here last time, we even talked about with a lot of these guys, it's like, Oh, these guys love Cincinnati, but it's just, there's something keeping them back. And we always sort of fell upon, well, they, they don't want to go to the, the AAC. They want to play power five football, but now Cincinnati stepping up playing power five football, you guys, you got guys like Trevor that are interested. They had a guy, Anthony Brown, who I wrote about in, in an article that will come that just came out. He was down uh, in Cincinnati on Saturday. Amari Snowden, the guy that I know you love after seeing him in camp. He's another yeah. guy that they're very high on. Just those level of prospects are what come with being in the Big 12. And I think you're starting to see it early because this class is really going to be one Cincinnati's make, starting to make their debut in the Big 12. This is going to be the first group of freshmen that will probably be full class in the Big 12. Dave, anything? Yeah. Mentioned the Big 12. How much when you talk to these guys is just the current standing of this team and its place nationally brought up with, with them? Yeah, it's something after that when I because I talked to a ton of different guys after the their visits on Saturday. And it's just something that I think resonates with a lot of these guys because I think some one of the recruit mentioned it specifically, Cincinnati and Luke Fickle and the staff have worked hard to earn this earn the number two rank in the AP poll, whatever the CFP says, whatever they're at now, what five, I think is that what it says, but these guys all respect and know how hard they've worked. And I think it's the, the, all the recruits notice it, obviously they see the rankings. It's easy to find. And the, it comes up with everybody because it's now an obvious thing where it's not just Cincinnati is a very good school with a great and nice head coach. It's a very talented program with a great staff that can take me to places that Ahmad sauce Gardner is going to go uh, my J Sanders going to go and guys like Desmond Ritter are going to go very high in the draft. And that's what guys want. With the players, the coaches, everybody that you talk to around the state, where does kind of, you know, we've, we've had this thought of who were, who you see battles on the recruiting trail. Has that even been elevated more so granted they're not, they're maybe not ever going to truly battle Ohio State for the kids that Ohio State really wants from the state. But is there anybody else that that they are going toe to toe with that you feel like is is in that same boat, or is everybody pretty much are they even with pretty much everybody else that we've been kind of chasing over the last several years prior to getting to this point? Yeah, and I, I think you're totally right there. When You've all heard it. You've all read it. When it comes to inside the state of Ohio, Coach Fickle is one of the most well-respected people that you'll ever meet. Talk to any head coach. They've probably had a conversation with him. They respect him a ton. That automatically puts him at an echelon that not a lot of places can get to. Then you ha- you match it with the success. They're, I mean, when you look at the other programs, yeah, Michigan State's up there. But Michigan State even has backed out of the state of Ohio more than they did with um, D'Antonio and then when you talk about Michigan, Michigan's not in there. Kentucky still comes in the state of Ohio, but they're struggling on the field. So when you mention Ohio State, Ohio State's really the only school that can maybe maybe have a step above Cincinnati when it comes to recruiting the state of Ohio. Other than that, I'd probably put Notre Dame, maybe maybe not on the level of Ohio State, but probably a half a notch above UC right now. 
Yeah, I, I but think they don't come into Ohio a ton. Yeah, I think a lot of that is honestly where you're going into Ohio of, with Freeman. Obviously, if they come into Dayton trying to get guys like that, that's going to be a big. That's going to be a difference. You can, but when it comes to Cincinnati, Central Ohio, I think they can go. You're right. They might be just maybe a little slice below Notre Dame just because of Notre Dame is the the touchdown Jesus. They have the like that longer running prestige, but Cincinnati with what they have now is just as well respected. I mean, you, the recruits, the recruits, a lot of the recruits saw it at Notre Dame. They were there on campus to watch Cincinnati go in there and beat them. So they know what they know what Cincinnati's capable of, and they saw it firsthand. So for them to mentally to put them right with Notre Dame makes sense. I think Notre Dame comes in for very very specific players. Freeman though is a little he's not at, like he's still recruiting. No, I'm just saying like in in their history like in their history, yeah. Like offensive linemen from Cincinnati and then guys that that they have some connection to like a Lorenzo Styles. Um, you know, they're just not coming in offering every you know the top 20 kid in each in each class um just for the the hell of it but i did want to ask you and it's not necessarily a question but it does affect uc is why is michigan not recruiting in ohio anymore and is that almost a big like to me that's like a bigger deal than almost anything else because like we talked about ohio state's going to get the kids that they want that they truly, really want. But Michigan not even really bothering in the state anymore opens things up for UC on a level that's never been available to them before. Yeah, I think that's something even the people that write about Michigan that the high school coaches are wondering about. And it, it's something that never it doesn't really get explained. You, I mean, you can maybe look at it and contribute to some that Harbaugh's tried to go with some flashy different recruiting, going out of state, landing some, like, some bigger names, not necessarily going to Ohio and, and scooping up some Ohio guys. Um, and just trying to sit there and make things seem more flashy than they actually are and taking these guys out of state where there's more wonder and more curiosity than just taking the in-state, the the Ohio, the state of the Ohio guys. But when it comes to Michigan not recruiting Ohio, it's something that's very confusing. And it, it's something that um, I think it's hurting the, the stability of their program up there and it's helping Cincinnati a ton, like you mentioned, being able to get some of the guys they have. All right, let's get to today. Uh, Luther Richardson uh, was in town Friday. He basically, their family treated it like an official visit. Um, the difference being when you have a dad that was a former strength coach in the NFL and your family's doing pretty well, you can take your own official visit and do it on your, excuse me, do it on your dime instead of the university's dime and not have it be much of a big deal. You know, when you go out to dinner, you just pick up your own tab. You, you get your own hotel. But they were here Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday before they left. Uh, from my understanding, Luther met with, with Coach Fickle. He met with Coach Gadouli. And then when they were getting ready to leave, he said, I want to go back and talk to Coach Fickle. He brought the family in. And he said, I want to be a Bearcat. Uh, originally, they had planned on announcing after his season was over. Changed those plans. And they were going to announce Sunday. And then this morning, he's like, I, we, I, let's go. I told, he told his team yesterday that he had committed to Cincinnati, told his teammates, uh, and, and Luther was, was ready to go. So I, I think around 10 o'clock, he was like, let's do this today. Um, they were like, when? He's like, uh, an hour and a half, 1130. <laughs> <laughs> so 
he he definitely got excited. He definitely like was fired up to have the process over. Um, I've seen him in person. You haven't. You're you're working on that. Yeah, I'm hoping uh, to get down there. Mick Mick is trying to get down to Nashville uh, before the SMU game that Friday to go check out Luther, and uh, I he can. I mean, you can see it in the videos. You can see it if you watch his stuff from Elite Eleven. You can see it instantly at the Midnight Madness camp. This kid, as they say in the business, can spin it, Mick. Yeah, I mean, got guys like Steve Wolfong, guys like Bruce Feldman, the guys that have wrote about written about him recently, they, they can write about anybody they want. So for them to devote time to write about Luther should, just sort of shows you how special of a talent he is. And credit to where credit's due to Coach Gino Gandulli for sort of finding finding Luther sitting there saying, I want this guy. This during what was a pandemic and saying, I want this guy, let's bring him in. They got him in midnight of midnight, June 1st. I, you saw him. I almost came down. I was this close, didn't actually end up making it. But yeah, like you said, his, his talent's insane. I think the thing that stands out was what Steve mentioned was the work ethic. And it's something that I know Fick mentioned on game day. He mentioned it all the time the Clifton style, the tough, nasty, all those kind of things. Seems like Luther not only has the talent and the skill to be the good quarterback in Cincinnati, but he's also got the mentality to succeed, which is going to make things interesting in the post-Des era. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you have to admire Gino because this was not an easy one. Like, they wanted to get this done June 1st, like when he came up here for that camp. And, you know, Luther, like I said, his, his dad's been around football for a long time. They wanted to to play the process out and see where it took them. Uh, I can never fault a kid for that, but especially a quarterback, that's a dangerous game because teams like to get their guy and, and have it squared away. And when a lot of coaches would have said back in June, if you're not committing, I'm going in a different direction. And Gino Gadulli stood on the table and said, this is our guy. Like, we, you know, we're not backing out of this one. We're not giving up on this one. We're not moving on to somebody else and putting them on the back burner. They continued to recruit him as hard as possible. They continued to just, you know, make impression after impression, sell the family. And uh, you have to give Gino a lot of credit for that because that is not how recruiting quarterbacks work, is it? No, and like I was telling Aaron and I was telling Brett before, and this, this is my personal philosophy, just watching recruiting. I mean, you, you mentioned it. He was up for June first. He 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 didn't like at the time when he was up. He didn't have many other options. It was, it was okay. Why are you not? And it just seemed like he. I was I was generally curious about how much he wanted to be at Cincinnati. But after seeing him walk walk around Nipper and experience the game, it was clear that I just think he wanted to see that experience. And I think his parents wanted to see that experience. So for Cincinnati to sit there and wait, and for Luther to soak it in. I think it just ended up being perfect for them. It's, it's like you said, it's not something that happens a ton, but in this situation, everything lined up. Gino wanted the guy. Credit to not only you said Gino pushing him, but credit for faking all those guys sitting there trusting him when they could have sat there and said, let's go get somebody else. Let's finish this class off. It, it was a total staff movement and lockstep to keep him, and they got their guy. Dave, any questions about Luther? Yeah, I, and I'm, I, I'm just curious, like, a guy like him that we clearly see has talent. His numbers are great. I know the competition he's playing against because I have a friend in Nashville that isn't really into football and high school football, college football. But, like, 
Trent Dilfer is your coach, Elite 11. I'm kind of surprised that there weren't more offers. Do we know kind of reasoning behind that? Like, I mean, it was really just UC, Michigan State, Vandy, App State, and a couple smaller schools. Memphis was in there a little bit as well. I mean, I have an answer for this if you don't, Nick. If you do, go ahead. I don't have an answer for it. My, my I only... think, like, I imagine fans, some fans that are probably asking the same thing. Yeah, my only so thought they... would be that they quarterbacks typically go early, and since he sort yeah. of popped up late, that's my only thought. But, Chad, I think you probably have more details as to the specifics on that. Well, I, that's a big part of it. Like, it, it, look at the Elite 11. I, I think they were really banking on – If for those that don't know, Trent Dilfer basically runs the Elite 11. He, like, and yeah, he, he started he, it. He, yeah. He can't have any involvement anymore because he's coaching. Right. But I, he's behind the scenes. I mean, he's still there. Like, he still has yeah. a heavy hand in the, the – he's, he's influential in the Elite 11. So, I think the family believed, like, we're just we, – we're not going to – they didn't want to camp. They didn't want to expose Luther to it. Um, it was actually a huge credit to Cincinnati. That's the only school he camped with that they were able to, to earn that trust to get him up here to camp. Um, but they kind of looked at it as we're going to put our money on the elite 11 and, and let that speak for uh, how good he is and how talented he is. And if you go look at the elite 11 reports, I think there was only one other quarterback there that wasn't committed. And the, the elite 11 finals, when they start, I know it says elite 11, there's like 28 quarterbacks there, like 25 of them, 26 of them were already committed. And when you look at where they were committed, Ohio State, Michigan State, LSU, Penn State, you know, Clemson, the who's who, everybody had their quarterback. So all of the top guys were already off the board by the time they got to the Elite 11 finals, which meant none of those schools were looking for their guy. He finished 24-7, rated him fifth at the Elite 11. Out of all those high-end quarterbacks, he was fifth. So he showed out at the Elite 11, but they're just the market for quarterbacks wasn't there anymore. And that's the gamble you take when you don't do the when you're not, you know, he was he's in Tennessee. He could have been, he could have camped at 50 places from Tennessee, because you can get to the Big Ten, you can get to the SEC, you can get to the ACC, all from Nashville in a couple-hour drive. And they just decided that wasn't the route they were going to take. They were going to play this thing a little closer to the best. They were going to count on the Elite 11, uh, blowing them up, and it did blow them up. But everybody already had their guy. And, you know... I also think at the Elite 11, college coaches aren't there. And they want to see you in person, right? They want to, they want to get you, they want to get their paws on you. They want to, you know, see how you handle their instruction, see how you throw while they're standing there watching you. And he never did any of that, anything in any of that, except for at Cincinnati. So I think that's what slowed the process down for him <clears throat> and, and the pandemic because if he had the availability to go out that spring, I think he would have been in the mix at a lot of those places that got their quarterback in April and May and June uh, that were no longer an option by the time he got to the Elite 11. 
or even have people come down. Because obviously, if, if things yeah. were open, Dilfer would have had everybody in the country down that he could have yeah. tried, but nobody sure. could come down. And then I think the other thing you mentioned is how everybody sort of had him and there was no real options. And then if you're going to move off your guy to go get Luther, you're going to have to beat Gino Guduli and the guys that were on him earlier. So you're not just walking into a guy that has no bat, like just some Mac offers and you should be able to walk waltz in and flip him. You were going to have to battle Gino tooth and nail to get him. So it wasn't just going to be a call a cakewalk if you walk into it. Is that a good enough answer for you, Dave? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. Perfect. As long as you're happy, I'm happy. Mickey just put up a, uh, a 2023 article. I know you've touched on it a little bit uh, a few minutes ago, but uh, there's the, the spots are dwindling in 2022. Uh, I think we all have a pretty good idea where things are going to go with Jojo Bermudez at this point. Uh, he made that very clear today. I think uh, the kid is the kid. I want him at my table if we're playing poker. That dude's tape is filthy. He's ridiculous. He's little. Probably what, five eight, five nine, maybe. But boy, he is fast, and his tape is filthy. And then Mario Eugenio is going to visit uh, here in a couple weeks, and I think UC is in a good spot in that one, as you can tell by the crystal balls that have come in for Mario. Uh, things are ticking down in 2022 time to start as junior seasons end. looking at 2023, uh, without giving too much away, Mick, obviously, because we want people to subscribe bearcatjournal.com. Give us an overview of the article we just published in your new series, Clifton notes. Yeah. So it was really, it was, I, I did a little digging, found out. Just wanted to see who the other guys, because obviously Trevor was a big name that they wanted to get in 23, big four-star in-state recruit. That's the guy that they wanted it to be a linebacker for him. So I just wanted to know outside of outside of Trevor, who else were the guys that they were sort of looking at real heavily? Got some names, and I I, I mean the one that I think is worth mentioning a ton, and we mentioned it earlier is Amari Snowden out of Roseville, Michigan. I mean that's a guy he was, that they, had on, they had on campus for a camp. They had him on campus for the Miami of Ohio game, if I believe earlier in the season, then I wouldn't be surprised if they try and push to get him back on campus for the SMU game. Um, he's a guy that they love. And obviously you got JQ Hardaway coming in in 22, but you can never have enough of those long lengthy corners if you're going to want to play defense like they do. That's the guy that they sort of circled. And then I mentioned the other guy who was on campus Saturday, Anthony Brown, the Minnesota wide receiver commit in 23 out of Springfield, Ohio. His I mean, brother's at Minnesota, right? Yeah, and that's, that's going to be the uphill battle. But other than that, they're going to try and take their, the biggest shot they can at him. And Anthony's a very receptive kid. He's taken multiple visits this fall. And you, you play your cards right. I mean, do, what, do as much as you can. If, chips, if the chips fall where they may, they do with Anthony Brown. He's a good enough guy. He might be, the, he might be one of the best, if not one of, if not the best wide receivers in Ohio right now, not including the senior class with all the guys that are committed to go elsewhere. All right. I think, I think we're, I think we're good on, uh, we're good on Mick here. Dave, you got anything left for him? Uh, the, I do have one quick question. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Evan, the offensive lineman from Wayne. Uh, center prospect in college. Is that, is that what you think? 
the great thing about and it's it's Tingus Dull. I'm actually very close with the the family there. But um, the great thing about Evan is he's played right tackle, left tackle, center guard, so he can play it all. I know they worked on him a lot this year at Wayne about snapping, and I think he's somebody that they could. I, honestly, that call is probably going to call come from a guy like Ron Crook at Cincinnati or one of the coaches sitting there saying, hey, we want you to be a center. Let's get to work on it. Um, if that's what happens, then I think I think you very well see Evan become that guy because he's got enough work ethic, and he's already started to do it to become a nice center at the college level. All right. Well, you got to stop your timer so you know when you can start listening again. <laughs> How excited are you to be back at Bearcat Journal? I, I know we. I know you're a Buckeye. I know you constantly send me texts about Ohio State because you know it drives me crazy. But how glad are you to be back at Bearcat Journal and uh, and back on the Bearcat beat? Very glad. I mean, what what you guys have going here is second to none, really, when it comes to the the, the power and like the the connections you guys have in the, on your on your team beat. It's crazy. I did mess with Aaron on Saturday after the game. I told him my, my hilarious scenario for Cincinnati, the postseason would be for the for Cincinnati to make the playoff at four, get Georgia. So Des beats Georgia. They go to the finals, and they, but then they face off against Ohio State in the finals, and they lose to Ohio State. So Des would have beaten every team he's ever played at the college level except for Ohio State, who he lost to twice. That would be my funny, hilarious scenario that I can mess with Aaron with for the rest of my life. But we know what happens if Cincinnati plays Ohio State for national championships. I was born in 2000, bud. I, I really have no clue. It's two nothing. It's two nothing Cincinnati, Nick. Okay. I mean, now you're gonna get some Xavier fan being like eleven, eleven in the past. I'm just Good. saying they've played for two national championships. Cincinnati's won twice. That's true. All right, you got me on that one. <laughs> I was gonna bring up Tulsa, but I, I, I think he's, I think I he's, o- he's okay with all the other uh, championships that the Buckeyes have won. And probably, I don't think that one bothers him much. No. The 1960 and 61 basketball championships, probably not high on Mick Walker's priority list. No. What's high on my priority list is Victor Locken being a stud for West Miller. Everybody's on the Victor Locken train. I love it. I love it. It's like a mystery box. Nobody knew what they were getting. <laughs> There's just this seven-foot mystery box that Wes Miller unpackaged when he arrived in Cincinnati. <laughs> John, the, the previous regime did not leave him with a ton of great things. Leaving him with this, a skilled seven-footer might have, been, might have been the best thing they could have left him with. No question. I love the mystery box analogy, Nick. That is absolutely perfect. Uh, all right, man. Appreciate you hopping on. That was we weren't planning on that. That was just kind of a, uh, as we started the, the podcast, Mick sent me the, uh, the new Clifton notes. And I was like, Hey, jump on. Let's talk for a few minutes. You guys I, are those. Huh? Yeah. These are swords in the background. These are my, are those real swords? I believe so. They have like points on them and everything. Are they this sharp? Is, yeah. My, my fiance, when I was messing with the other day, threatened that she was going to grab one and. Stab you? Yeah, I don't think I'd have real like weapons in the house. There's like there's like five of them in this room, I guess. There's a lot. I don't know why. Well, at least you can grab enough. Like you can sword. You can defend yourself. Yeah. She can't. She can't hold five of them. That's true. So, good luck. You guys always you record well. at eight o'clock. Are you guys like up this late constantly? 
I don't sleep. I'm I'm not much of a sleeper. Yeah, right. uh, we we Dave's got a little one, so what you'll learn once you get little ones, like you you do stuff after bedtime. Yeah, you, doing stuff before bedtime means that there are going to be interruptions from children. Yeah. After bedtime means you're okay for a little while. I basically go to sleep as soon as this is over. And then he doesn't by, listen to it. Dave, can I stop by the tailgate before the SMU game? Am I allowed? Of, anybody's allowed. Of course. Are you 21 yet? You're 21 now, right? Turn 21 in June, yeah. Yeah. So you can, course. Dave, get him a jello shot, Dave. You can have plenty was, of jello shots. I was gonna, I was gonna like actually stop by and like see like Aaron and stuff before I went down on sa- Saturday, but I freaking hit a, an orange barrel. It was like halfway in the lane. I lost my left mirror like 30 minutes into a two-hour drive. So I was driving one mirror. Aaron, Aaron and Brett came up and, and enjoyed themselves pregame. It was, I, I, I'm sorry that I missed it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk you, about it. You got one more. Maybe two. Yeah. Thank you, Mick. Appreciate yeah, you, brother. Yeah. Yep, bye. Welcome back to Mick Walker. and. Uh, one thing I love about Mick, man, that kid is he lives, like genuinely lives football recruiting. Good, because you and I have no interest in you. <laughs> it's great to, you know, Aaron Aaron has done a great job, and Aaron's going to continue uh, on the football recruiting trail with Mick uh, as they kind of work together on that. But that is one of those beats, man. If you don't live it, it is really difficult because there's a lot. Yeah. It is a lot, like a lot, a lot. So yes. Mick does, man. Mick is Mick, Mick is at camps. He 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 legit. He hit me up today, Dave. He's like, uh, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go watch Luther in Nashville the night before the SMU game. And I'm like, you are a crazy person. He's like, it's only four hours from Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. Okay. He's right. in the West Side Nash West Side of Nashville. Yeah, it's five, right? It ain't four, yeah, it's, it's five. Yeah, you gotta go through town and but it's a haul, but that's that the man the man is on it. So it's yeah. good to have him back on board and uh recruiting coverage just took a uh <laughs> a big leap. All right, let's get to Tulsa. We're already an hour in. I know you don't want to do two hours, so uh keep it brief. Tulsa, go. Um, I think I've, I've been thinking about not just so much this, but just kind of these last three weeks and just everything all together. And I just have a lot of thoughts. Tulsa specifically and the run defense specifically yeah, I know you guys talked on Monday night about three man versus four man, and I totally I'm in alignment with what you were saying. I was calling for four man during the game, and, and the reason was is we just for whatever reason, and I went back and I watched the game for everything that we've done well throughout the year I thought that was our worst performance from a physicality standpoint a defeating blocks standpoint yeah and just an just a numbers game like 
on so many plays, you'd have whoever was in it knows. And you'd have DeBlanco. And that's basically all you had in between the guards. Yeah. And they're going, okay, this is what you want to do? Tulsa has a quality veteran offensive line, and they have quality backs. And they were, no matter what the score was, very content to get five, six yards of carry, knowing that they had a better chance to break a 15-yard run than to complete a 15-yard pass. Yep. And I don't, you know, we are amateur as amateur get. So I don't know what was going on, but it seemed in rewatching the game that either we were just guessing wrong or we were making errors, but it seemed so many times we would have numbers to one side and they would run it to the other side. Or we would have the right numbers on the side, but we couldn't get off blocks. Um, and I don't know, and this is a thought I had, you can, you know, weigh in on it. Have, have we become kind of to the point where we feel so confident in what we do that we just kind of do what we do because we, for the most part, feel like that's good enough. And now other teams, not saying they've figured it out, because let's be real, they haven't figured it out. In conference play, we're still only allowing 15.6 points a game. And that's including what I would call two fairly garbage touchdowns against UCF. Garbage time, not, not that they are cheap, but like, yeah, you know. So we're still only, I mean, we're barely giving up two touchdowns a game. But are teams starting to at least realize, like, yeah, they're really good at this, but they're not really giving us any curveballs. They're not really giving us any exotic looks. Like, I feel like we are not as aggressive. Um, That's ding, 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 ding. From a pressure – like, we're sending pressures. Like, DeBlanco pressures the middle all the time, but, like, there's no variety. There's no dropping guys and rushing two guys over one side to confuse the line. We saw the blitz from um, from Ahmad, but that has been very few and far between. Where we have very physical corners, and we have good secondary people. Like send some of those guys sometimes. Like you have the skill to cover that up. Um, you know, I just felt like in this case, in the Tulsa game, the linebackers did a pretty poor job getting off blocks. For as good as Curtis Brooks has been this year, I thought that he didn't command the middle like he has. Um, you know, we did not see those tackles for loss like we've seen all year. And I don't know if that's – I'm not going to call it vanilla, but like – I just – I did not see a in-your-face, black cat, tough and nasty, aggressive defense against Tulsa, and I think they just leaned on us and leaned on us, and 
you know, whether it was three down linemen or four down linemen, like the first drive of the second half, Beavers and DeBlanco hugged the line and stopped the run. But then there would be times where, like, yes, Beavers is our is a linebacker, but he's out hanging outside of the the edge. And like you have no other bodies on the other side. They've got, and most of the time they'd have six, sometimes seven guys with a, you know, with a tight end on a run play. There's just not enough bodies. And I don't know if we're just not adjusting, um, if we're supposed to be doing things that we're not executing properly, or we're just not, you know, you know, the word you always hear is exotic. Defenses are exotic. They give you exotic looks. I don't think we do anything to try to confuse the offense. I think we line up and say, our good is better than your good. We know you're not going to drive down the field like three or four times and score touchdowns. And we're okay with that. And I think that's why we're kind of seeing these games where these other teams are content to muddy it up and just see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I think that was always the thing with Marcus, right? Was that there was always a wrinkle coming. There was always some new thing, like whether it was visible to the human eye, it was always visible, like to the, to, to the, to the result, right? Because the defense or the offense always looked confused and never really were able to find a rhythm. Now, I do think, you know, we probably should have paid more attention to the fact that, that this is exactly what Tulsa did in the American Athletic Conference Championship game. They said, we're going we're gonna to ride behind our veteran offensive line and, we're, we're, you know, we're going to push you. We're going to lean on you. We're going to hold you. We're going to make the officials call it. You know, it's, it's very Kelvin Sampson, Houston-esque, right? Right. We're going to foul every time, and they're not going to call all of them, and they're going to get sick of calling them if they do. Um, and, and But I don't think there is that, that level of keeping opponents guessing, you know, keeping opponents unsure of what Cincinnati's wrinkle is this week. Um, I just get the sense that there's not the – component of we know we're better than you. we're going to knock you the f out right from the jump yeah like we're we're going to just we're going to cripple you and i felt like, like it was there early it in a lot of ways it's starting with navy and i don't know if it was a navy thing where it takes a little bit then to get over having to play the triple um but, like, there is not a – to my view, there is just not this, like, yeah, we know we're better than you, but we're also going to send seven guys and try to knock your quarterback out of the game. And then we're going right. to try to knock, knock the backup quarterback out of the game. Not dirty, not anything like that, but, like, this is going to be a relentless – however long you have the ball, we are not going to let up. Yep. And I just don't see that right now. I don't either. I, I want that aggression back. I want that that swagger that, you know, how many times in the past three weeks have we seen one of those, like, 
tone setting, jarring hits in the backfield. Yeah, like the one Cook had against UCF. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were several of them even against Navy where they would try to run outside and Ty Van Fossen was mowing people down. That's the thing, though, right? Teams aren't running it outside. No. They're not allowing UC speed to make plays in space. That's my issue with the 3-3-5 is right up the middle. You only have so many guys. If you're going to continue to play five defensive backs, there's only so many other players. Mm-hmm. Brian Cook is one of those players still, right? Yeah. I'd like to see him in the box a little bit more, maybe. I'd like to see – I mean, I'd like to see all of those guys outside of maybe Hicks being sent on, like, on the edge. Like, cause – like, we don't – like, they're not getting to the quarterback from a sack standpoint. We know why. Um I mean, teams literally aren't even like Tulsa. Their one series threw three passes and and was three and out, and like it was like, nope, we're not going to throw anymore until yeah, that's abs- it. Until that's, we that's, absolutely have to. And even when we absolutely have to, we're still not throwing. Like we'll so, throw one down. We're going to so, run the other like, two. You gotta, you gotta try to. I mean, I don't know. You, I, you gotta try to generate some action when you know or you see that this is, this is the mindset from the other team. And, and I don't think Tulsa wanted to do that, honestly. Like, I think they wanted to get the ball, like, run their normal stuff. But once they realized, like, okay, this is, good, this is working, why would they deviate from that? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and on, like, kind of like a bigger, a bigger scale, and I know you kind of said that you've reversed your thinking a little bit in, in the grand scheme of things. I, I just think that, that it needs to be like, it's time to stop glossing over the pressure. It's time to stop glossing that's, that's over. That's what I was going to say is what level, where, where, does, where does that come in when you're literally trying to do something that's never been done? Right. You are doing some, you're trying to do something that it's never been done while at the same time being asked to do something that no one else is being asked to do. Nick Saban goes into the locker room after the LSU game and says, I know there's a lot of things we need to clean up, but we got the win. Ryan Day goes into the locker room after the Nebraska game. I know we made a ton of mistakes, but we got the win. Mario Cristobal goes in the locker room after the Washington game and says, that was too close for comfort, but we got the win. You see, Luke Fickle does not get to do that. Now, he can say that to his players, but we know that that's not how it works for them. And at what point, whether you're a player or a coach, because I think offensively we can get into that too like at what point are you trying to call the perfect play and then when you're out on the field trying to make the perfect play trying to it may be josh wiley's case break a tackle that you're not going to break because you're trying to get that extra bit and you end up fumbling like 
what sort of just weight is all of this having when when let's be honest they hear it that yeah Cincinnati's there but they're not winning impressively enough or when you know, no one's saying that about anybody else so you know what kind of weight is that having on the players on the coaches you know on everybody I mean I'm sure there's there's obvious pressure to it like heavy is the head that wears the crown right like yeah. you they they have to see it we know they see it we know they feel it we know that that pressure is there that they have to do something that nobody else is doing right like and and i know like they're doing everything they can to insulate themselves into it's not possible it's not possible because there's no getting away from it. you're on campus with how many other thousands of students i mean i i know right. very well that if i was in that situation and i'm walking by a player i'd be like Man, that's bullshit the committee how'd you guys at six like you know because you're you know you're a college kid and you're trying to you know see what they'll say and everything and like it, it's got to be nonstop. And yeah you, and, you, and you you see that like you know alabama plays with their food against LSU. If LSU had a literal halfway competent quarterback, they might have won that game. I mean, they had the ball after a long fourth down run at, like, Alabama's seven-yard line. Yeah, three times in Alabama territory. And I I didn't think for one second they were going to score. I was like, well, that guy didn't score on that run. They're not scoring. Yeah, I I, there's a guy on ESPN today that's like, you know – Cincinnati's win over three and six Tulsa is, is no different than, or is, is way different than Alabama and LSU. And I'm like, have you like, watched LSU? This LSU's is it, coach. Is it just because you think LSU should be good? Yeah. Like, like that's what, that's what it comes down to. They have tons of guys that aren't playing. Their coach just got fired. Like they're at Alabama. They're 29 point underdogs. And Alabama ran for six yards. But that's they that's, were a bigger dog. Okay, but that's yeah, they okay were, because it's they the were SEC. a bigger dog to Bama than Tulsa was to Cincinnati. Yeah, but it's but all right. It's just okay. It's, it's tough it's, that you know. Yeah. It's, it's a grind. It's a grind. No matter who you're playing, it's a grind. Yeah. Okay. Like, look, should Cincinnati have beaten Navy, Tulane, and Tulsa by more? Yes. Of course. I mean, you see. Yes. Didn't, you, the Tulsa game, actually, from an offensive standpoint, bothered me more than, than anything else. Because how do you look so good at the start of the game and at the start of the third quarter and then literally don't even threaten the end zone for the last 25 minutes of the game? Yeah. Like, you know, and I know I thought Dez actually had a, a quite a good game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he had there, some drops that really would have made drops, that game look I mean, different. Could have, yeah. But, I mean, the offensive line has been, I would say, inconsistent at best most of the season. Um, they seem to make debilitating errors, like, at the absolute wrong times. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that kill drives, that has to improve. I don't know if that means giving a little bit more help to your tackles. Um, 
but something needs to be fixed offensively. Like, you know, the deep for as much as we are pulling our hair out about the defense, like I said, they're still, I mean, they've given up the most points they've given up since Indiana was 21 against UCF. And that game was never in question. Right. The offense cannot go through these. And I'm not looking at it as like, beating USF or even beating SMU or Houston. I'm looking at it as like an off what you need to do to make the playoff compete against these other teams. Or if it comes down to it, make a New Year's Six Bowl and win. Yeah, because you you cannot go 25 minutes without threatening the end zone against Tulsa. You just can't. When you have an offense that is as high, you know, in all of the metrics, as highly rated as they are. It's crazy to think they're highly rated because of these like short windows, these these five oh, minutes, seven minute stretches. Their numbers are absurd, like absurdly good across the board offensively. But it's it's such a small period of the game. Right. One because they're they're not on the field a lot, especially the past three weeks because you know the time of possession has not been in their favor because teams are running so much. But two, that even when they do have it, it's 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 lit- almost literally all or nothing. Yeah, I mean they're very good at explosive plays. They're very good at turning, and you know we can get into this more with us the USF preview, but they're very good at turning their what I would call quality drives into points. Yeah. Um, but they just, and they still have a decent number of quality drives, but you just go through these big lulls where <clears throat> I don't know if, <clears throat> I don't want to, you know, again, we're amateurs. We're just pontificating. But, like, I, I don't know. I think sometimes, you know, we took plenty of shot plays against Tulsa, which was – that was the – that was there to be taken. I mean, right. Alec Pierce had several, you know, had a couple very tough catches that he's usually made that he didn't make. Trey Tucker had a play that, if that's completed, that is probably the best ball of Des Ritter's career. Yeah. Um, but – I still think at times we get like too conservative. Like we're still like, nope, we still got to be a run first team. Like, no, you don't. Like your advantage is on the perimeter and with your quarterback. You don't need to run the ball between the tackles as much as you do. And they have got, they were a little bit better this week about with those quick tosses and getting getting guys to the outside. I mean, it's, a, it's basically a guaranteed five or six yards every time. Yeah, one good, man. So I would just like to see being both sides of the ball. I just want to see more, more aggressive aggression, but especially on defense. Like, yep. I just feel like we're – we are – we know we're good. We know we're good in, in certain calls. and But I think you saw against Tulsa, 
what can happen when you when you don't play your best. Right. Because it wasn't just, you know, obviously Tulsa had a lot to do with it. You don't run for three, almost 300 yards just, you know, falling out of bed. But in, in re-watching, I think film was not a great thing for, for the guys. There was a lot of things I think that uh, they could be better at. Yeah. All right, USF, uh, bad start to the season. But they're playing decent or at least much better football. The, the offense is. Yeah, their the defense off- is still bad. The offense is playing better. The defense is, <clears throat> to put it mildly, atrocious. Um, I would say, like, they're, they're, another, they're another thing that's just strange so last week against houston they gave up 600 and like 30 something yards 9.9 yards per play they gave up a first down every play to houston the quarter that's not good no the quarterback is they were going to get another freshman timmy mcclain he has Dual, dual threat but see, that's the thing. He's really not. He has. This is the weird thing. Like I, in doing some some, you know, research research, he almost has as many rushes as he does completions. But they are not runs out of like a designed thing. They are runs to save his life. Apparently, <laughs> like he had forty six pass attempts against Houston. And I only completed 22 of them, but for 289, two touchdowns, two interceptions. But a lot of it was off script, running around three, four seconds. You know, it sounds like their offensive line is an issue. Houston kind of just manhandled them from a pass rush standpoint. Houston's front seven is pretty good. It is. It is. Their defense as a whole, I mean, their stop rate is very similar to UC's. But, like, it doesn't sound like he's running, you know, in that true dual threat capacity. Right. Um, It's not read options and, you know. It it hasn't been so far. It hasn't seemed like it. Uh, They've got good backs. They do, but I think Sounds like one of them is hurt. Their lead back, uh, Jaron Mangum, who has like 13 touchdowns or something, <clears throat> twisted his knee in the game against Houston. I think his status is up in the air. They have a smaller running back, speed guy, Brian Batie, who had two kickoff returns for touchdowns against yeah. Houston. Yeah, so that can, that game is a lot different. If it's you can not guarantee that's not happening, right? Um, and then they have another running back who had 100 yards rushing in both the Temple and ECU games, but then got three carries against Houston. Right. So not sure what that's all about. Again. Sounds like from the USF people that their running ability is 
a little skewed by, like, they run it well against the really bad teams. Right. And then, I mean, their rush success rate is better than their past. You know, same thing defensively, but, I mean, their defense as a whole is kind of a train wreck all the way around. But, like, even against Temple, the game they won fairly easily, 34-14, they still gave up 6.6 yards per play. So, you know, the offense is improving week to week. Uh, They've led four straight games at the half and have lost three out of those four games. So I think their, their defense is being worn down as the game goes on, uh, being worn down by some injuries. But I, I, you know, and this is, this is an interesting advanced metric that I actually learned today called the Eichel rate. And the Eichel rate measures how many of your drives are quote unquote successful, which that is determined by crossing the opponent's 40. And then how many points you score off of those drives. Yeah. So offensively, UC is 34th nationally with a 56%, you know, rate of drives that are successful. They're 12th nationally in converting those to points at almost five points per drive. USS defense is 123rd nationally giving up 64% of successful drives and again almost five 4.71 points per drive offensively while they're getting better they're still only averaging like 3.36 points on these drives and UC's defense is obviously very high in that. I mean, we've seen how many how many drives have other teams even gotten inside our 40 and not gotten any points. I mean, they're sixth nationally, only giving up 2.88 points per drive that qualify as successful drives. Yeah. So while I'm not while I'm not sure how they're going to go about it from a are they gonna try to just run the ball? I'm not sure, like, here's the thing. is like, people can go, oh, Tulsa ran for 300 yards. They're just going to do that. Well, their offensive line is nowhere near as good as Tulsa's. Yeah. And their running backs are nowhere near as good as Tulsa's. Especially if their best running back is hurt to some, any degree, any level. Right. So it's not really, you know, replicatable to that degree. Now, they might try to slow the game down and whatnot, but their defense is so bad. That, you know, if Jerome Ford is healthy, I have no knowledge whether he's... He was he was out there Tuesday. He was limited, but he was at practice. I just think this, like, I'm not thinking, like, we're not losing the game. Like, we have a 96% win probability. But this game is very much a, a UC game and not really a UC-USF game. 
like what adjustments are made from last week defensively? What adjustments are made offensively to try to limit these lulls that we go through? Where And I know a lot of people want to talk about, well, he still hasn't played a full 60-minute game. Well, we're nine games in. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's not a thing. Right. So can we play a 45-minute game instead of a 35-minute game? <clears throat> can we play a 50-minute game instead of a 40-minute game? Like, stuff like that. Like, when you have a chance to dagger somebody, do we do that? Because we have not done that the last three weeks. We've had opportunities. I mean, we had yeah. the, dri- the drive this week where it's 28-12, we drive it down there and give up two, two sets right in a row. You if know. that's a 35-12 game, the dynamic changes completely. They can't run it. 100%. Anymore. You get, it's 35-12. You get one stop and score again. It's 42-12. And, and even at just 35-12, like they can't stick right. with the run. No, there's not enough time. Because even if you even if they score and it takes them seven minutes to do it, it's still they're still down two touchdowns. At 28-12, they couldn't or they they ended short with two drives at the goal line in the final minute or two minutes. Like they weren't getting to 35. No. Almost got to 28. <laughs> What was that dude thinking sliding? I don't think he was. I don't I mean, think he I don't think it was going through his head that like if I slide, I'm down. I think he thought I can I I've can never, get in from I've, here. I've never seen somebody do that. I haven't either. I haven't either. <laughs> I mean but yeah, this is a this is a UC not I'm not gonna say this is like a get right game, but this is a UC like I just wanna see like Step up, try and to oftentimes try oftentimes, to get the noise out of there. Just play your game, like play like you were playing against Temple and UCF before all this noise really started building. Like play like you did against Notre Dame. Right, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, what's your what's your final? Um, I think it'll be tough for South Florida to score. Uh, I think I'm going to go like uh, 40, 42, 45, 40. 42 10 42 13 something like that I'm, I'm beaten down because I've predicted blowouts the last three weeks a little I'm gonna go 35 what's their kicker like do they have a kicker I, I honestly didn't didn't check that out okay 
I'm going to go 35 to 20. UC cover or UC wins, but doesn't cover for the fourth week in a row. I'll tell you real quick. They have a good kicker. Yeah, 20. 20. He's 9 for 10 with a long of 52. Wow. So he's going to hit his career-long field goal. Because that's what, that's what teams do. Yeah. Well, also had a good kicker, too. Wasn't like it was totally... No, I'm just saying, like, they have a good kicker and then said good kicker kicks his career-long field goal against Cincinnati. In part because the defense does such a good job getting off the field that you, you know, you're left with tough decisions. And so you put it on your kicker's foot from 50, 55 yards, and he makes it. Yeah. feels like Cincinnati does not get the benefit of, like, college kicker. Well, that's the other thing, too, (laughs) is, like, I'd like to see a stat of, I mean, we can look it up. It's not hard to see, but like, I wonder how many fourth downs opponents have gone for against UC. A lot. Feels like a lot. Feels like a lot. But um, do we, do we have any comments on the? CFI ranking. Not really. I mean, I I kind of check, like, I, I know this is bad for content. I kind of check out in these middle weeks of the rankings. Because I, I, like, I already know the hustle. I know how it's done. My outrage is gone. Like, they patted UC on the head and moved them up to five. I think they were just in a really tough spot. Like, are you going to leave Michigan State at five um, and put Michigan at six and drop UC to seven? Like, I just uh, – I, I don't know. I, five was the easy thing. It was a week where nothing really happened uh, other than Michigan State. Nobody played well. Nobody had a, a big top 25 win. I guess that was the thing Oklahoma I was from off. It was in a week when everybody outside of Georgia kind of scuffled that they were all treated the same. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just don't think it was an exciting week for, for action in the CFP. It's about to be. Yeah. Business is about to pick up. This week is starting and is starting the, uh, the the real the real part of the season. And, you know, Coach Fickle always talks about we want to be playing our best football at the end of the year. Well, I mean, I don't think anybody would dispute. Right now, they are not playing their best football, but they all of their goals are still in front of them. And you know, they play their best football. They can, you know, they can reach them. And by the way, they've had the second most fourth down attempts against them of any team in the country. Yeah. 27 attempts. Yeah. Teams have only converted 11 of them. They had the second most in the country. Yeah. Oregon's had 29 fourth down attempts. UC and Michigan State 
have had 27. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, I, I just don't, I don't have a lot to say on it. Like I, it, there's going to be weeks here in the very near future, starting with this week. And then especially the week of the SMU game, I think is what Ohio state, Michigan state, um, Oregon, Utah, I think is that week. It might be the next week. One of the two, uh, I, I Ta- do laugh. Tavion Thomas is going to bring it home for the Bearcats team. I do laugh at the committee and the conspiracy theorists that are like, all they had to do was just keep Michigan State ahead of Michigan. And there really wouldn't have been anything to argue about. And they, yeah, they, so they, 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 they couldn't they even had do to that. Do they had to generate something. Yeah, that, it's a TV show. I just, it just makes me laugh. It's like, well, you know, when you look at all of the, all of the data, it says that Michigan is just the better team, except the data point when they played each other nine days They played each other, yeah. Well, I think the other thing there is they have a much easier time doing that if it's a home game. So like Michigan State won at home, so they can devalue it a lot easier than if Michigan State won at the big house. But, you know, it's kind of the reason that I have tried to not really pay much attention to it is that, for the most part, you know, thankfully, it's going to get worked out on the field. Yeah. Like, that might mean, that might still mean that UC doesn't make it in. But like I right. put, I put a tweet out last night. Like, you can fit in one tweet the things that need to happen for UC to have a realistic chance, and none of them are outlandish. Right. Like none of them, you look at and go, "That there's no way that's happening." But who knows? <laughs> now, who knows what other tricks they have up their sleeve? But that's why. I, that's why I don't want to. That's why I don't want to get lost in the fact that it's hard to win all your games. There's four teams that are undefeated. Right. One of them is clear cut the best team in college football. Yep. One of the one other of one them, is UTSA. One of, one of them hasn't played anybody. Now I'm not downgrading them. Like I've watched them play. They have good players. They are a good team. Yeah. The other two are Oklahoma and UC. Like, it's fucking hard. This team has not lost a regular season game since 2019. And there the one are, loss they had was basically one point to UCLA. Or there to Georgia are and the, programs in this country that have every advantage over UC that would literally cut a family member to have a two-year run that you right. see is having. And I know we get frustrated, and I know we leave a game like Tulsa and we're like, man, that just was not very good. And it's, right. you're, you're not wrong. But, like, people were, like, yelling at each other in the parking garage, just MF or this, MF or, like, I'm like, dude. Really? Yes! I'm like, 
we just won. We're nine and zero. Like, enjoy this stuff. Like, it is. There is no guarantee that any of this will ever continue. Right. And if you can't enjoy that at a program like UC, for whatever reason, whether you're tied up in the playoff or you're tied up in UC playing to a level that they have now made us expect because they have shown that they can play to that level. So, you know, when you raise expectations, you can't then turn around and say, well, sometimes we're not going to meet those expectations. Like, that's right. a given in, in sports with 18 to 22 year olds. But like, just enjoy the fact that this team is damn good. They might not be amazing. They might not even be top four playoff worthy. I don't know. But like, they're damn good. They have damn good players. They have damn good coaches. They have, you know, personalities on the team. They have guys you want to root for. They have coaches that are likable. You know, they play I'm, for I'm, them. I'm, I'm watching uh, the newest tweet from the Cincy O-line yeah. account, which if you don't follow that account on Twitter, you should. Fastest Coney eating contest. Oh, God, now I got to watch this. <laughs> Cody Lamb, 2.04 seconds. Miami's Berg. Dayton, representing. My, that's my neck of the woods, my hood. <laughs> but they're fun. Right. Like, like I, just, I just never understood, like, you win a game, you're 9-0, and you leave the game, like, in a bad mood because they did not meet some expectation that, that you had going in. Right. Like, I'm, I'm not happy that they're not meeting that expectation right now, but I'm not allowing that to distract from the fact that, like, there's a realistic chance that this team is going to go 13 and 0 and on top of a 9 and 1 season with all of the momentum we have going forward like why would you let that stuff get in the way of enjoying something like this right all right we do have one more thing we got to get to okay we we did uh we did a conversation on the BBP the other night that was uh, placing us in the role of the characters of Family Guy. Okay. And we we I I decided that you and I were Brian and Stewie, but I couldn't decide who was who were, who were Brian two. and Stewie, the dog and the baby. Okay. Like they're kind of the brains of that operation. Okay. Brian. What do you think is is the appropriate? I don't know. Like I I think you're I I think I have to be Stewie because Stewie's like a smart ass, right? But we're both like we both have a lot of the same qualities. (laughs) Right? We're both smart asses. Like, you know, we I have to admit I missed this part (laughs) of the BBP. It's at the very end. It's a variant. You would have actually liked the 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 last part was uh, talking about children the the children's cartoons. Our take on children's cartoons, uh, and my only real take was fuck Caillou. Like are you talking about like like Bluey? B- well, Bluey was before my t- or after. Yeah, my Bluey's time. like right now. Yeah, that I'm talking a- like 
That is as much of adult cartoon as it is yeah. a kid's cartoon. I was big on like Wonder Pets when Kelsey was growing up. Yeah. Uh, Little Einsteins, I liked. Bubble are, Guppies was okay. We are was deep okay. in, in uh, Blaze and the Monster Machines. Okay. Paw Patrol and uh, he's obsessed. He's obsessed with cars. Okay, the the like, movie, yeah. And all the like shorts that Disney has. Yeah, yeah. You so he's never watched Caillou. I had no idea what that is. Okay, don't ever. I don't watch think Caillou. that's on TV. It's somewhere. I guarantee it. That little well, fucking I have, rat I bastard. Have not, I have not seen that on any of the channels we have. Okay, well, if you see it, don't watch it just on the sheer chance oh, that he and, might and, like it. And Coco Melon is like meth for kids. Someone, <laughs> did, someone did like a study about how they ch- the co- like the show changes, um, like imaging or, or scenes like every one to three seconds, and that's how it just like keeps kids like totally locked in. Like he he loves it. Don't watch Caillou. But uh, I, I think I'm Stewie and you're Brian. Sure. Never watched an episode in my life. So. You've never watched an episode of Family Guy? No. Really? No. It's funny. I was a South Park guy. I've I, I watched both. You can watch yeah. both. I know. I just. I watched The Simpsons for a long time, too. I never really watched that either. Because right. I was so into sports growing up that I watched Sunday Night Football over The Simpsons. <laughs> even even as like a kid. When Sunday That's Night Football. Yeah. Brian is kind of like Brian parties his ass off. He's also kind of a smart ass. Stewie is like the. Uh, did you ever watch Pinky and the Brain? Nope. Oh my god. Who even are you? Stewie's a lot like Brain. When when what, when was this show on? Pinky and the Brain when we were kids, like well, teenagers. Kind no, of I watched Pinky like, and the Brain. I watched on. like Ducktales. And, I watched uh, DuckTales. Hong Kong Fooey. I remember that. I watched a little Hong Kong Fooey. Yeah, I'm down with Hong Kong Fooey. Um, Did yeah. you watch uh, Speed Racer? Were you a Speed Racer guy? No, no, I wasn't. Okay, so di- do you remember Dino Riders? Vaguely, but I didn't watch a lot of So it, it was like these dinosaurs where these space people like crashed into this island or land with dinosaurs and they outfitted them with like army like artillery and yeah, the dinos- there was like good dinosaurs and bad dinosaurs when they put like these things on their heads and they like had these like guns and rocket launchers and everything i was into i was into that i was big into All dinosaurs right. as a kid is anything that had to do with dinosaurs he-man castle of grayskull <laughs> but mostly sports but mostly sports. All right. So it, you're okay with your Brian the dog. Great. And I'm um, I'm Stewie the baby. Yeah. Who who were our other uh, members? Uh, Mick was Chris, who is the awkward boy. Okay. Uh, Aaron was Quagmire. Okay. You know, is there, giggity, is there, giggity. Is there a Meg? There's a Meg. Was Brent Meg? No. Who do Brent was Brent was Cleveland. Okay. So uh, no one was like the, any of the actual like main main characters. We don't have a Peter. 
like we don't have a big stupid fuck like we you know <laughs> like we don't have a peter uh i okay. argued like that their argument was like meg isn't a desirable character to be because she's insufferable i argued that mila kunis is the voice of meg and mila kunis you know Top five. <laughs> that's that's a good one she's that's on a the good list. one she's on the list uh, we I can't remember. We made we made Brett because he's a lawyer. We made him Joe Swanson, the cop yeah. in the wheelchair. Oh, okay, sure. Um, so yeah, I, we didn't have a Peter, and we like we, you know we don't we we made uh Taylor that does the edits. We made her uh Lois. Just because why? Just yeah, just because she's female, and we didn't. <laughs> That's we don't sexist. know. We don't. It is sexist. I agree. It's disgusting. I don't know if I want to be part of this <laughs> organization any longer. Well, we we didn't we didn't have any anybody else to make her. That was you know, <laughs> the logical. We wanted to give her a role. We just didn't know which role we wanted to give her. So we gave her Lois because we figured that was better than than Meg. Even though my argument is Mila Kunis is the voice of Meg. I I wouldn't mind being Meg. Basically, the same person basically the same person you know nobody likes meg the character but meg the voice are, they, are these the type of mailbag questions you guys get on a regular basis so what we do now with the banks is the football questions Cause, go cause on if it is i i can't wait to not listen to another one so we do the football questions first on the football yeah. board and then we have basketball questions on the basketball board and then we end the show with random off-topic questions on the banks it, okay so my my one question though is is aaron not reading all the questions before the show is that a bit i don't i can't i can't tell i don't know because like half the questions are one we've already just, talked about that you've already talked about sh- and he just goes yeah. he reads the question and goes well we've already talked about that so is that a, <laughs> i think he, is that like is that like a bit where it's like you don't get the show I, I or, think he or, wants to like like honor every person that asked a question by getting their question read, and as, then here's here's how you honor them: demand better questions. If well, I they don't, don't know what we're going to talk about it. But like, if I don't, the if I don't, the show, if I don't read your question, that means it wasn't very good. Or it's I know, but I think answer. I think he wants to give them a hat tip by giving them a a, a, a name shout out. Earn it. I mean, but it's not. Hey, not not, not my show. I don't want to. I don't want to, you know, come in and. I would. I would. The ones I you, would weed I, out. I, I don't want to be accused of trying to get you how to cut it down to under two hours. Well, we're at two hours, by the I way. I know we are now. I. I the, here's what I would weed out. If you're going to ask a question, and you're not going to take the time to read through the questions to see if that question has been asked, you're out. Right. We, that's the point of not reading questions that have already been asked. well no like no what you were saying is like we already answered that like somebody asked a question that we talked about earlier in the show and he reads the question just to say we talked about that earlier yeah. in the show like if you're gonna a mailbag if you're gonna ask the same question in a mailbag that's already been asked four times go fuck yourself <laughs> I, I don't disagree yeah that's called reading comprehension yeah, read, read through read, the questions. Read, read. Oh, the question I wanted to ask. 
has already been posted. I yeah. don't need to post that. Like, just quote it and hit times two to let us know that, like, that's that's a question other, you believe other in. Other people would like this yeah. question answered. Yeah, like, you know, but read the thread. Don't just see mailbag. Go to the little I'm thing. I'm going to start trying to reply. come up with the most ridiculous question just so that he reads it. Okay. I'm down with that. That's what Skins does every week in the banks. Uh, I think the next one he's coming up with is uh, like uh, Cheers. Who is everybody in the cast of Cheers? I'm going to do like Would You Rathers. Okay. <laughs> I like Would You Rathers. I, I'm a big fan of Would You Rathers. I do, I do too. <laughs> I'm a KFC radio guy. Like KFC radio is huge on would you rathers. <laughs> That's kind of the basis of how that podcast started. Did you see what they did yesterday? No, I did not. They had, there's been this running joke with they, they've had Bert Kreischer on a couple of times. And if you I know, he, me, was you on know the, he was on the golf podcast. Yeah. It, I love, love Bert Kreischer, huge Bert Kreischer guy. And uh, they've had this running joke about whose balls are longer. <laughs> so in the middle of the show, they they whip their balls out to no. see whose balls were the longest. <laughs> Classy. And, and, then, and, then, and then they all blew uh, uh, water bottles. <laughs> and somebody just squirts the water up into your mouth while you're in the middle of doing it. I don't understand. <laughs> go watch it on youtube it's ridiculous it's it's two hours that will make your face hurt it's so stupid but, I'll, get, I'll get right on that right all now. right we're i think we're over two so uh, we, we two are, hours uh, and one minute. speaking of speaking of comedy next week's podcast will need to be on thursday night okay because i will be attending the uh dave Chappelle show wednesday night. oh in uh in white springs no it's in downtown cincinnati my friend oh i didn't know that congratulations whatever they call it now heritage bank heritage bank arena well that'll be a great time enjoy they did a it's yellow springs just yellow springs yeah but they did a documentary of all of those shows that he Mm -hmm. performed outside that they're releasing i want to say like eight or ten cities starting in i think end of october into november and um and then it's all so they're they're showing you the documentary but then it's also with dave Chappelle and friends wow so we'll see that'll be that'll be awesome musical acts other comedians i don't know it'll be interesting that'll be amazing because dave rolls like dave and friends like nobody has better friends than dave Chappelle. yeah i mean that could really mean like anything 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 so like watch any of the backstage clips of like who's in the green room with dave chappelle and, and, I'm, like, and, I'm, ho- and I'm hoping what we see is to be honest i didn't think that the last stand-up the closer was that good um it was okay it, it wasn't was, his yeah, best work it, no it, it dwelled on a singular topic for i think far too long um yeah i agree but so I'm hoping that this is, you know, better than that. And different, right? Who else the friends are could could mean who knows what. Yeah. Well, you enjoy. So Thursday. So Thursday. Yeah, it's a Saturday game. So it's Saturday yeah. games we normally do Thursday. Right. So back to your regularly scheduled 
But I, didn't know, I, did, I did not know the basketball schedule off the top of my head, so I didn't know. If oh, was, shit, like, they play Thursday. <laughs> All right, so maybe Tuesday. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure something out. Yeah. We'll figure something out. Why are the other? Maybe I'll get Justin the guest host on Wednesday, and you can just have a night a week off. Something. All right. We'll figure something out. All right, brother. Two hours in the books. Thanks to Mick Walker. It's, and, all Mick's, uh, it's all Mick's fault. It is all Mick's fault. Without Mick, we wouldn't have gone two hours, but we did. Uh, basketball season's back. That was fun. Football Friday, Holy Grail. We'll see you there. He's Dave Simone. Not Dave Chappelle. Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. We'll see you next time. It's the Holy Grail BCJ podcast. Right here on BearcatJournal.com. <laughs>